Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 4. Today we're talking to Mohamed Saeed, who is the employee number one of Laravel, Q master, and just a general great guy. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 4, where every single episode is about a single topic. And today, once again, I'm taking one of my friends who I know knows a lot of things and is willing to flex with me a little bit. And we've got a little bit more than one topic in this one. Today, we're talking about cues and events. And uh, actually, when we were talking before, and I was like, it's three topics. And he's like, no, it's not. It's two, Matt. So cues and jobs, cues and pushing jobs and cues, and then events on the other side. So I have joining me the man, the mystery, the first employee of Laravel, Mohammed Saeed. So Mohammed. Welcome back to the show. I know you're one of our wonderful repeats. You and I are, I think we've known each other for years at this point, so I can call us maybe not old friends, but mid, mid-time friends. Could you say hi to the people and then, as always, tell them what do you do and how do you tell people what you do when you meet them wherever you go these days, whether grocery stores or whatever else? Hello, everyone. My name is Mohammed Saeed, and I'm a web developer at Laravel. Well, if I meet someone at the grocery store and uh, I would l- I would explain to him what I do for a living, I basically say I'm I'm a programmer. This job is actually very popular here, so everyone knows uh, what a okay. programmer does. It's it's not hard to explain it. But if I meet Got someone it. else who is working in the in the industry, in the software industry, and I try to tell him what I do exactly, like I work for a, a company that builds a framework that people use to build uh, web applications, that's when things get a little bit interesting. So I have to explain, yeah. I have to explain to them uh, that I use PHP and that the framework is uh, is built on PHP and that it can do this and that. So that's, that's when the yeah. conversation is interesting, actually. I like it. Oh, where you live, what is the most common framework? If you meet another programmer, somebody else who's in the tech industry, what's the most common framework that people have heard of that you can compare it to? Well, if he's a web developer, it's definitely Laravel. It's the, the most popular framework here and in really? the world, actually. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So when I when I compare it to people, for some reason, Rails is always the one that people have heard of more than anything else. So I say it's like Rails, but I wondered if for you it was something different. So Laravel is actually, they, they know what Laravel is basically then. Yeah. Laravel is, is more huh. popu- the most popular uh, framework here because PHP is the most popular language here in Egypt. Like most companies, mm. they build their stuff okay. on top of PHP or using PHP and they build their stuff mm. actually on top of Laravel. That's incredible. That's not my experience. I mean, I know it's very popular if you look at the internet, but... When I casually meet a programmer, they've probably heard of PHP and it's probably, you know, there's somebody making fun of like old head people using PHP. But the easiest thing, if I meet somebody who's super enterprisey, I'll probably end up saying it's like .NET MVC or something like that, you know. And if it's if I meet somebody who's a little bit younger, I might say it's like Rails. Oh, that's really interesting. OK, so I've got a lot to, to ask you about, and not a lot of time. So I will stop d- dealing around and just ask you. So we've got two, not three, primary topics in front of us right now. So I think the one that is the most complicated and that you happen to be the man, you know, around town about is cues. So let's start there. If you were to talk to somebody about cues and pushing jobs and cues, who's five years old, which as a father, you might have some general ideas about, how would you describe that general concept to them? Well, Actually, like if, if I want to describe it to, to a five-year-old or a, someone who is, a st- who is starting with software in general, he's a beginner, he doesn't understand what cues are, and he reads 
something like demons and uh, workers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's always confusing. So I would start yeah. with with saying that if you because that's that's actually my personal problem. When you have to go to the to the grocery store or the hypermarket, you spend time putting stuff in the shopping cart and then you go stand in a queue until you reach the cashier and then the cashier starts unloading the stuff from your shopping cart and uh, calculating the, the the amount that you have to pay and then you pay and then you put you put it back in the shopping cart and that's basically 30 to 60 minutes wasted of your time so what if instead of this like you put stuff in your shopping cart and that's the actual that's the actual thing that you care about you went to the market to put stuff in the shopping cart for you to take home and what uh-huh. if if you just put the stuff in the shopping cart and then hand it over to one of the staff and then you go home or you go to the playground or go eat ice cream and then when you go go home you will find your things at your, at the door and <laughs> everything is done for you so you don't have to wait for it and that that's basically what what the the queue component of laravel does it it helps you like offload some of the tasks that you are not interested in or that you don't want to worry about right now you just offload mm-hmm. it to someone else or some other process mm-hmm. on the computer some other program on the computer to take care of it while you continue doing your thing like for for a, a grocery store customer your your thing or your that the, the main job or the main part of what you are here for is to buy stuff and yeah. If you if you spend like thirty minutes buying stuff and then another thirty minutes just standing in a queue, you might yeah. you might reconsider the next time you have to go to the grocery store and you you just you say nah I w- I'll just starve myself <laughs> to death because I don't have to stand in line for thirty minutes. So so yeah. that's I think that's how I'm going to explain it. All right, the episode's over. It was perfect. We're done. <laughs> that was so good, man. I love that. Oh, that's good. Okay, so. Before we walk over to events, we'll do those a little bit. Let's take that a little bit further and imagine now a practical circumstance in which a programmer would choose to reach for a queue. And can you tell me a little bit about what it would look like for them? Give me an example. You know, when's the last time or anyway, what's the first time you think somebody would tend to reach for one? And what kind of like high level programmery wise does it look like to set up and use the queue? Well, first for a programmer to to need to use queues, like I explain it in this way, like a user interacts with a program using a user interface, a graphical user interface, like buttons and forms and such. And a program speaks to another program using a programmable interface, an API. Like when you call a method, when you call a function, uh, that's that's how a programmer speaks with a program. And what the queue is, is imagine if you have several programs running in the background or running on your machine, and these programs speak with each other. And you need to find a way or you need to tell the programs how to speak to each other and how to interact or how to react on dif- in different situations. Like if one of the programs took too, uh, took too much time uh, doing a process or another program failed to, f- uh, to finish a process and so on. And that's, that's basically the, the kind of thing that you're going to, to need to use queues for. Okay. So let's get a little bit more concrete now and say, if I'm a Laravel programmer, and I am building a Laravel app that allows users to have user profiles so that they can shop or something like that. You know, just think think about like what are, what are some common circumstances in which I would choose not to just do something synchronously, but instead push a job up onto the queue. Like, what's one thing you could think of? You know, and that that would lead me to choose to queue something. 
Well, of course, the obvious answer and the example that people give every time they discuss the importance of using cues is that people won't have to wait mm-hmm. until uh, the action is done. So, for example, when people sign up, they don't have to wait until your application speaks with the mail mm-hmm. service provider to send them the email verification email. They just can sign up and go to a welcome screen until everything is done in the background and they find the email uh, in their inbox yeah. later. They can check it right now. They can check it n- next day. They don't have to wait until this yeah. this is done. So that's one thing. Another thing actually, and taking the, the grocery store example, is if you, well, like when, when you put stuff in your shopping cart and one staff member has to take all the stuff from the shopping cart uh, to put it uh, uh, to put it on the table and count it at the counter. What if like you have several uh, staff members and each of them offloading mm-hmm. uh, uh, some of the stuff in the grocery uh, on the shopping cart? So instead of you wasting uh, five or ten minutes for for a single person to uh, to do the job, if five persons started working on that job at the same time, they will yeah. finish faster. And that's another thing that you can use queues for. You can uh, program several instances of your applications to run in the background and the process or run a process at the same time, and they will finish it quickly. Another thing is uh, if you do things synchronously, you have to handle everything like it's either all of it succeeded or mm-hmm. all of it failed. If things succeeded, it's done. If things failed and the user wants to retry it, they will have to start the process all over. But when you flow things to the queue, you can have like, uh, if, if there is a temporary down downtime on one of the, your servers or so, that 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 only, only that server will be isolated in the failure. And then you can restart only the task that this server was uh, trying to do, not mm-hmm. the entire uh, task that you sent to the queue. So that's yeah. basically the scenarios that you are going to need queues for. Okay, perfect. So let's talk about one of those scenarios. The first one you said was the most common example people give. And I love that you're teaching us that we there's times to reach for queues other than the most common, right? The user interface is going to be slow. And I love that. But let's before we go any further into those, I want to make sure that people have the general architectural understanding of what's happening when I push something on the queue. This is in part because in the past, I used queues using something called Iron MQ, and the actual architecture of how we're interacting with it was we were actually pushing pieces of code onto the queue that then the queue worker, the queue itself executed, which is not how we do things in Laravel, right? So if I were, for example, to want to send up an email, and instead of directly sending the email right now, I wanted that email to be queued to be sent later. What data am I actually sending up to that queue, and how is it storing it, and then how is it eventually getting done when it gets pulled off the queue? Well, to have or the queue system in Laravel is like two parts, part that runs on the server and the other parts that, that sends or the request that sends the, uh, the, the drop to the queue. So on the server, you have several workers running and a worker is basically a Laravel application that's like, they call it a daemon, but I, I don't know why they, they, they have this term for a long running process or a, an ongoing yeah. process. It's, it's a scary term and I remember reading it the first time it it, it was very confusing what a daemon is. But a daemon is like a process that lives on your server and it, it never ends. Like, for, for example, an HTTP request starts a, a Laravel application instance and then when the request is done, this instance is, is done, is terminated. But a daemon uh, a process is a Laravel application that's, that doesn't terminate. It just 
staying there and wait or, or just looping over and over, waiting for drops to process. The other part is sending drops to this daemon. When you dispatch uh, an email job, for example, you send the email address and uh, maybe the name of the, of the user, maybe the time they registered. You send this data to the queue and it's going to get stored in a, in a, a persistent storage like a database or a Redis instance. And then the daemon or the ongoing process on your server or the Laravel worker is constantly checking this uh, storage. Mm -hmm. it's gonna, uh, let's say, let's say for example, you are sending those drops to a Redis instance. So this worker is checking the Redis instance over and over, trying to find drops to process. So once it finds the the drop of the email that you are trying to send, it's going to uh, to get this drop and get the data. Uh, uh, stored in that drop. The data would be the name of the drop class in your application mm -hmm. that you want the worker to execute and the data that should be passed to the drop instance. So for example, if the drop instance is called send confirmation email and you, right. have, to, you have to pass the name of the customer and the email address, Laravel or the worker is going to create an instance of this uh, class, the send confirmation email, and pass those uh, data to it to, to create the instance. And once the instance is created, the worker is going to call the handle method inside that instance to execute your job. So that's that's basically how the queue works. Yeah, it's beautiful, and I love that. And that, and that simplifies it so much for me because I think, like I said, so I had worked with queues before where we had to write the code and push the code up. And so the queues were hard because I had to write these like standalone, because you know we were using CodeIgniter, and I had to write these standalone PHP things that I was pushing up that had nothing to do with the rest of my CodeIgniter that had just enough code to function. And then I didn't really know how they were working or what environment they're in. And when I started with Laravel's queues, I said, like, oh, no, it's just basically pushing, like it's pushing just enough data for Laravel to know how to operate on it. And then Laravel itself, a full instance of my exact same Laravel application running in the daemon, news up basically that job based on that. And I, I, you, you, same, you, just, you described that perfectly. There's a long running Laravel instance somewhere that says, oh, there's a new thing here. Cool. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to use it to new this thing up and I'm going to act on it. So it's really just kind of the same as our normal Laravel application, right? The only, the only thing that's happening there is that it's a convention that Laravel has that if you are going to push something up and then it's going to be pulled down by the daemon with that data, here's the structure of class we want for it. You know, it's a job or something else that has should queue on it. But in general, it's really just data being put into a database. It happens to be Redis or whatever. And that data in the database is instructions for the Laravel app that's running long term on the daemon to create something and act on it, right? Yes, basically that's that's how it, how you describe it. It's like instead of calling or instead of creating an instance of the send confirmation job uh, class and calling the handle method synchronously, you just send this the name of the class and the properties to pass to it. Uh, you mm -hmm. store it in the in the database on Redis, and then the worker is going to create the instance and call the method for you. Yeah, I love it. Also, when you said that I went and looked it up on, on Wikipedia because I couldn't remember why it's called a daemon. So a note to anybody, I, it, it can be pronounced either demon or daemon. Apparently, they actually mean the same thing. Um, I was like, oh, it's not a demon. It's a daemon. That's the same thing. But it's because um, apparently there's a thought experiment called Maxwell's demon back in 1867 about the second law of thermodynamics. But the thing that is relevant is that in the thought experiment, the demon spends a whole bunch of time 
basically in the background constantly acting on something. And so the people who originally created the concept of the daemon at MIT were like, oh, this, you know, this thought experiment that is that is a mythical being constantly working in the background is very similar to what daemons do. So, yeah, that turns out that's why. Thank you for leading me down that path, Mohammed. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more practically about how I would create my own. So you've mentioned an email, and I know that a lot of things in, in Laravel are really easy to queue themselves. Could you talk a little bit about the should queue and anything else that would be helpful for us to know if we were to choose to create our own things and choose to make them queue in Laravel? Well, like the basic form of the of a queue job is just a class that has a method called handle. And inside that handle method, you run any logic that you want the queue or you want the worker to execute. But there are other things in Laravel that can be queued. Like for example, a mailable, like a mail mm -hmm. object. You create a mail object and you have the option to send that mail right away from your code, like with using the mail facade, so uh, mail send, and then you pass the mailable object. And this is going to execute the mail right away. It's going to send it synchronously. Or you can mm -hmm. say that I'd like to queue that mailable. So you add the interface should queue to that mailable class. Mm -hmm. And Laravel will understand that you want to queue that mail every time you want to send it. It's going to be sent to the queue. It's not going to be uh, sent synchronously. Same mm -hmm. goes to notifications. Whenever you send a notification, Laravel will check if you have the should queue interface implemented on the notification class. And if so, it's going to send it to the queue. Same to event listeners. If you have an event listener that uh, that has the should, uh, should queue interface, Laravel is going to execute the code in that listener in the queue. It will not mm -hmm. execute it synchronously. So these are the things that you can queue. Another thing that, that can be queued, and actually it's queued by default, is broadcasted events. Like when you're doing mm -hmm. WebSockets and you're just sending an event to the WebSocket server, uh, Laravel will, will queue it by default. You don't have to implement anything or you do anything. It's going to be queued by default because like if you're sending something to the WebSocket server, Laravel is smart enough to understand that you, do, you don't want to do the sending synchronously. It's going to be done in the background. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So the only thing we didn't talk about there, you mentioned the fact that if you wanted to create your own thing, that it, you want to make your own job, you want to push on, then it has a handle method. If I were to create something of my own, th there's been a couple different names for the thing that you push in the job manually, a job that you push manually in yourself, commands and jobs and all that kind of stuff. So if today I wanted to create a fresh PHP class or object that is solely intended to be used to push on something in the queue, what does that look like? What's the name of that? Well, it's, it's a bit like the job or a job instance or a job class is like a basic PHP uh, class. It, there is nothing special about it. You send that mm -hmm. instance to the pass, uh, the pass component in the Laravel framework, and the pass component is going to convert it to, uh, or it's going to serialize it to a string form. Yep. So that like string yeah. form, yeah, that string form can be stored in Redis or it can be stored on a database or sent to a queue driver. And sometimes, or like before the, the pass component was introduced in Laravel, when you had to send a, a drop to the queue, you had to use like the queue facade and then you call the push method. And you, you send mm -hmm. or you dispatch or you put a, a class name and you have to do the serialization of this class for Laravel to understand how to 
unserialize it when the worker receives the job in the end. But you don't have to do this anymore. And for a long time, Laravel is doing this automatically behind the scenes so people won't have to worry about it. Yeah. So it kind of, it's really helpful for you to say that. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of like push to this a lot is because it, it has felt in the past that you need really smart classes to be queued. Right. Like you have to make sure it's, you know, you create it the right way. And you, what you keep pushing at is like really all it needs is this handle method. And, you know, it needs this in, this interface. And it, when you have those things, Laravel is taking all the rest of the responsibility off of your plate. And basically you just dispatch that and that's it. I love that. All right. So I know we also have the entire eventing system to talk about. But before we go there, what do you think the most common thing is that gets people stuck when they're first getting started working with queues? Well, I think the most confusing part in the queue system is the number of configurations around jobs and workers mm -hmm. and connection and so on. So I think, in my opinion, it's the most or the, the biggest component that has the largest number of configurations. And this gives the mm. developer a lot of flexibility to, to tell the workers or tell the queue what to do exactly. But with, with great flexibility comes some confusion because you have to configure a lot of things. Yeah. Of course, of course, Laravel makes decision on behalf of people for the most common use cases. But you mm -hmm. have to learn all the configuration keys in order for you to to use that or to have the the actual or the real power of the queue system. You have to understand all these configurations, and that's that's the most uh, confusing part. But besides that, one of the most important concepts, like we said, that the uh, a worker is an ongoing or a demon. Or, mm -hmm. or, or, how, how do you pronounce it? I say a daemon. It's apparently they're both right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a, a daemon running on the server and it's a single instance of a Laravel application that's running and it's processing all your jobs. So for example, if you send a job that sends an email and another job that creates a record in the database, they are both totally two different job instances, two different classes, but they are going to be executed by the same instance of the Laravel application. Mm -hmm. Unlike mm -hmm. an HTTP request, each HTTP request will start a separate instance of the Laravel framework. So yeah. having a single instance processing all jobs, one of the things that confuses people is that is state management when doing mm -hmm. so. So for example, if you, uh, if you have a singleton uh, defined in your Laravel application, a singleton is a, is a class that the container creates one, once and uses it during the lifetime of the, of the application. And since the application will mm -hmm. not get terminated, that instance is going to be used for each, for every job. So, for example, if your job hmm. relies on the fact that each HTTP request will start the application from the start, and uh, you have to, and you will have a fresh instance of this singleton, when you hmm. send this job to the queue, it's going, it's not going to be a fresh instance. It's going to be the same huh. instance that was created when the worker started running maybe 30 days ago. That's something that is a, a cause of. So many bugs and so many problems and so huh. many confusion, especially when people like, for example, uh, have static uh, classes and static properties and they mm -hmm. store values in these static properties and they expect on the next job the values will be empty. But that's, yeah. that won't be the case because it's, right. it's the same application, the same memory, the same everything. Wow. I mean, now that you say it, it makes sense, but I've never never been bitten by that. So that's really helpful that you said that. So if we're using singletons, we can't expect those singletons to refresh at the beginning of every job because each job is not a new. And it's it's sort of like working with 
something else like Ruby or something like that where you don't, you know, we can do some lazy programming things in PHP because we knew everything's going to refresh on every single request. And when we're working with queues, we don't have that luxury. That's really helpful. One of the things that Laravel is, is good at, besides the perfect documentation and all the things that we know, is that it makes a lot of decisions on behalf of the user so they mm -hmm. don't shoot the, themselves in the leg. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I so, like for example, yeah. So, something like this, like most of the cleaning that happens around jobs is done mm -hmm. in the background. So, people or so the, uh, the problem of having to deal with the same state for a long time. Is not is not felt by uh, as much people as it would have been without Laravel doing this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it does a lot of cleaning in the background. It does a lot of uh, it makes a lot of decisions on behalf of you, so you don't uh, get into this situation a lot. But again, if you move to a more advanced kind of jobs like jobs that that do a lot of things, you will realize that you are using the same memory allocated. It's the mm -hmm. same process. So if you store things in the memory and you call you don't clean after it it's going to stay in the memory and then you will have crashes and then you will have problems and so on. So yeah. that's that's exactly one thing that, that people need to be aware of when dealing with queues. Uh, another another thing, it's it's actually a little bit trivial, but we we ourselves were developing Vapor. We had this problem. Uh, we had a job that was dispatched from inside the database transaction mm -hmm. and the job was dispatched before the transaction commits. So it was relying on a model, an eloquent model that was created inside the transaction, mm -hmm. but the transaction didn't commit yet. So the model wasn't in the database yet. And yeah. the job was dispatched. And because the worker process is a separate process, it picked the job before the transaction commits. Mm -hmm. So when it, start, when it started processing that job and looked at the database, the database or the record wasn't in the database and yeah. it errored. And yeah. That's that's another problem that uh, I've seen I've seen it on the forums on the Laracast forums several times and we actually faced this issue uh, while debugging something on Vapor like not a, a couple of months ago, mm -hmm. but like in the uh, a few weeks ago we released uh, another version of Laravel that has uh, automatic configuration that you can use to say, hey, every time I dispatch a job from inside the database transaction, don't dispatch the job until the transaction commits. Oh, cool. So it's done automatically for you right now. You don't have yeah. to worry about it. You just have to tell the, the queue system or you have to tell the, the command pass to not dispatch any jobs while there are open database transaction. And if that transaction was rolled back, discard the job, do not send it. Because it, it doesn't make sense to send it anymore because now the, that the transaction's yeah, not happening. Then tracks that's really is cool. not happening. So that's I like that. Yeah, so that's that's another Yet another thing. way you're you're keeping us from shooting ourselves in the foot, right? <laughs> yes. I love it. So you had mentioned a little bit ago that there's all these different configuration options. I know that there's two places at least where you're thinking about configuration options, and one of them has to do with the configuration in your system, but one of them has to do with the configurations you pass into the daemon when you're spinning it up. And I realize we haven't actually talked about what the process of spinning up a daemon looks like. Obviously, you could go to great detail teaching us how to do it on our own, but I would say if somebody's just listening for the first time and just learning about queues right now, the answer for how do I spin it up is use Forge. We're not even going to go any further. So if I were to recommend everybody we're using Forge to do it, can you talk a little bit about what the setup is and what configuration options Forge makes available to us and what 
you know, whether we should be thinking about those or should we just stick with the defaults when we're creating a new daemon? Well, where, when you are creating a, a worker, let's say you are using Laravel Forge to host your application, you're starting a worker on, on Laravel Forge. Forge has this nice interface that it shows all the configurations that a worker accepts, like the timeout of the worker or how many processes you need to start, how many workers, uh, like for example, how much time should the worker wait before pulling jobs from the queue each time and so mm -hmm. on. It's like several configurations that you can see on the single screen and it has like uh, hints on what each configuration does. So you can, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so you can easily decide what you want to do. But actually yeah. the defaults on the, uh, when creating a worker, uh, are basically the ones needed by, let's say, 90% of the use cases. Exce right. Except for one thing, maybe is the number of retries. By default, okay. a worker is configured to fail the job if an exception was thrown. So mm -hmm. for in our example, if you are sending an email in the queue and sending that email uh, failed due to, for example, a temporary outage at the email sending service, that job is going to yeah. fail and it's going to be stored in the failed failed job staple for you to to decide what to do with it mm -hmm. later but like that for 90 uh, percent of the cases that that's not what you want you want the, the worker to tr retry the job for you automatically because it's one of the things that you use a queue for like the queue system for so there are automatic retries when things fail yeah so when starting a worker you probably will want to configure the worker to uh, retry the job several times before it considers it as a failure. Another thing you you yeah. need to mind to mind uh, for is is uh, the the amount of time for each job is allowed to run. So you don't want your workers, for example, to to keep running a job for hours, uh, get stuck in for hours on a job that that's going to fail due to like a, a network yeah. that's not responding or a problem on the server mm -hmm. and so on. So you might want to think about this this when you start a worker, like how how much time should the worker allow a single job to run before it terminates it uh, right away. Mm -hmm. So these are the two things that most common that people will need to configure each time they start a worker, the timeout for each job and the number of attempts a job may have before it's considered failure. Yeah, those are really great points, especially because sometimes we're queuing things where we want there to be a longer timeout because we're queuing it because it takes a long time. Let's say you're queuing something that you're dealing with this like really finicky external API and every API call takes a minute and a half. We well, got to make sure your timeout's longer than a minute and a half. But you also, like you said, you don't want it to just sit in timeout mode forever. That's really helpful. Because we haven't even touched events at all, I want to make sure that I give you the chance to say everything you want to say about queues because I know that queues, I think to me, queues are, are more important. I'm going to be honest that while I want us to talk about events, I very, very seldom use events. And I actually just wrote an event yesterday on a client project. So it's not that I never use them, but I use queues daily and I don't use events daily. So I do want to make sure you really have the time to talk about it. What other things do you think it would be helpful for us to cover about queues before we roll over to events? Well, basically, I would like just to mention that I agree with you that events are not are not like part of my favorite or or it's not the favorite thing that I, I use when I'm, when building applications. The problem with events is that you don't see what happens after mm -hmm. you send the event? It's hard to figure mm -hmm. out what happens. You have to check all the listeners that this uh, that listen to this event and check their code one by one until you figure out what happens when this event occurs. 
to me mm-hmm. i'd like to see or it's better for me to see uh, the complete execution plan of the mm-hmm. code that runs synchronously at least and mm-hmm. the parts that are going to be run in the background or b- via queue worker i have them like i have a job i dispatch a job from from the synchronous part and i know that if i want to see what happens after dispatching this job or what happened inside the job i'll go to the job class and check it out to find what's going on but with using events you have to like see all the listeners and check all the listeners and i don't i don't enjoy this way of building applications i love to see everything in front of my eyes to see what happens when this piece of code is executed yeah and I think of queues and events as being similar because both of them involve not necessarily asynchronicity, but both of them involve the fact that like you say something should happen and the thing happening is disconnected a little bit, right? And we'll talk about events in a second, but like just to, to your point there, with events, what's disconnected is that you triggered the event, but the processing of the event is not defined there. With queued things, you triggered the job putting on the queue and the execution definition is defined in the same spot, but it's not actually synchronously being acting at the same time. So functionally, they both are separate a little bit. But like you just mentioned, when you're queuing something, whether or not it's executing right now, the code is right next to where you just triggered it, which is helpful for us as programmers, With whereas with events, that's not the case. So you know what? Even though I said, why don't we finish queues, I think let's just get to, to events real quick, and then I think we'll m- wrap up the whole concept. So uh, can you give me, you know, I think we'll, we'll keep events short. Can you give me the five minute, the five-year-old, um, concept of what the eventing system is like in Laravel? Well, like there is a, this event that my son woke up, this is an event and mm-hmm. there are several res- listeners listening to this event. So when my son wakes uh-huh. up, when my son wakes up, you have to, pre- you have to prepare food for him. You have to change his diapers. You have to do a lot uh-huh. of stuff. You create, you run crazily all over the place. So this is an event my son woke up mm-hmm. and a lot of listeners uh, get executed when this event runs and some mm-hmm. people uh, use this pattern to build their entire application so for example when a user gets registered you do several things you send a welcome email you send a confirmation email you set up an account for them you do several things when a single user registers and some people like do all this stuff in a, in the controller or in a repository other people choose to use events. So they fire mm-hmm. the event that uh, a user was registered and then they create several listeners to this event. A listener that creates an account, another listener that sends a welcome email and so on. So that's mm-hmm. that's basically uh, how what, what events do. I know it's not for the for a five-year-old, uh, but that's that's it. Well, him, him, your son waking up was for a five-year-old, so you're good. And you, you dropped right into what you know is my second question always, which is what's a little bit more technical version of it? So if I were to build an event, so that the event that I just built, God, what was it called that I built yesterday? Because I was going to use that as an example. It was, it was something about Stripe. Let's, let's say it's a Stripe webhook. So every single time Stripe sends a webhook back to me. Usually I'm not actually expecting it, right? Because Stripe webhooks don't come at a time where a user is interacting with your app. There's just Stripe decided to send you what well, with your app. The Stripe said, hey, you know what? This user logged in and updated their payment information and now it's no longer failing, right? And so when they send a webhook back to me, I've got a webhook controller and that translates that webhook into a you know user updated credit card event. What does it look like for me to create that event and create those listeners? You mentioned a little bit about it, but so I'm going to create a class that defines the event, 
right? And I'm going to cre- create another class somewhere that defines a listener. And can you tell me a little bit about the method, methods they have and everything like that? Yeah, well, you have to create a class with the event or you can actually have a string event, like a, a string, an event in oh, a string yeah. form. Like when you just, you can just yeah, dispatch an event that's a string and then you register uh, listeners to this uh, string event. And a listener mm-hmm. is basically another class or a closure. Like you can register mm-hmm. a closure uh, to be a listener to a specific event. And you can actually mm-hmm. register a closure or you register another an, a listener class to listen to all events on your, uh, on your application. So a listener mm-hmm. can listen to multiple events and it will get executed. Uh, the, the, way, the way things work or the way Laravel works is that when you dispatch an event, Laravel is going to check the event dispatcher to see all the listeners registered to this event mm-hmm. or if there are any listeners that are supposed to listen to all events on your system. And it's mm-hmm. going to collect these listeners and it's going to execute them one by one. And Got it. yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's basically how it works. Okay. So yeah, so each of those, when they're they're executed, they are past this particular event. So if the event is just a string, thing happened, well then cool, they'll respond to it. If your event actually is a class, it might have some data attached to it. For example, in my example, there might be the user ID or anything else that came back through. And so that event listener will be past the event and if op- optionally any data that's attached to it, and then they'll act on it. So in my circumstance, one thing I could do, let's say you know there's 20 different webhooks that I might actually be getting back from Stripe. You know, I could handle all those in a controller. I could create a custom class for handling them. Or I can dispatch a Stripe webhook received event that has all the data we got back. And then there can be listeners for individual different types or whatever it is. So there's there's ways for you to basically build these architectures such that you're listening to these events and it's not happening directly in the controller. So one of the benefits of that is, you know, you, you, let's say you've got all these different things happening. It's not all just, oh, we need to add one more thing happening every time the user registers. We're going to add a new synchronous action directly in the user registration controller. But you also mentioned the downsides, which is, especially for new folks in the, the, in the code base, it's really hard to understand where, what's actually happening and when and why, which especially for those of us who are used to just kind of walking through it and seeing the thing happen and then looking at it, it feels much more disconnected and it feels a lot harder to debug these things. You mentioned that you tend to not prefer them. Are there any circumstances in which you find yourself still saying, well, this is the one circumstance in which I do use events or you just kind of don't use them at all? Well, I try to avoid them because it's easier to track down what's going on inside the code mm-hmm. that runs synchronously when it's all in one place. But yeah. I imagine if there are like things that that are common that or things that should happen when several or several other things happen. Like for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. a listener that listens to when a customer is created or updated or deleted, or a listener mm-hmm. that listens to a, a, a subscription that's created or updated or deleted. For this yeah. kind, uh, it's better to write it in one place. And then dispatch yeah. or run this code in several places or on on these several occasions, but yeah. since it's it's one a piece of code that has to run on several occasions, it doesn't make sense to put it all in one place. So at this mm-hmm. t- in this situation, it might be a good idea. Sense, yeah. yeah, to to put it in a listener and register the listener to this event. So we, so you know that when this or this or this events are fired your code yeah. or your listener will be will get executed but like some people out there they build the entire application 
event based yeah. so like they always uh, dispatch events and they do everything in listeners and i find this very hard to follow what the application does like where yeah if i have to work on a no-code base that's like four or five years old that it's all built in events and uh, i sit and try to understand how things work it's going to be very very difficult that that's yeah. why I'm actually not a very big fan of using the uh, the event system. I mean, inside the application, like I understand the importance if you are having microservices, so several applications mm -hmm. listening to events and they get executed. Like for example, you may have a PHP application and uh, uh, a Rails application or a Python application and you fire an event in the PHP application, the Python application listens to this event and executes it. That's like yeah. a legit way of using events. But if it's the same application, yeah. the same code base, uh, you don't have to dispatch events and listen to all these events and several listeners. And it's it's going to be hard to follow what's going on inside that, that single application. You, you, you understand what, what I am saying? Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> I, was, I love that you just said microservices because that's where my brain was going. I was thinking using events sparingly sometimes it makes sense you gave a really great example but using events extensively seems like it's trying to solve the same thing that microservices are trying to solve which is different teams different groupings different pieces of your architecture communicating to each other in what feels like a more architecturally pure way but majority of the time ends up like it's not a bad tool but preemptive use of it or using it when it's not necessary makes things unnecessarily complex without actually getting the value you're getting. So I can imagine if someone had a really, really massive team and one part of the team was responsible for just one thing and another was responsible for just another thing, that events might be a really reasonable way to work on it. One team, one would say, you're basically treating them like hooks in something like WordPress, right? We're, we're going to be building our thing, our user registration flow, and you're not allowed to touch it. But we'll, we'll send out events for certain things that you all are able to send, you know, make your own listeners to. So if you've got two entirely disparate teams, one of which is responsible for this, one of them is responsible for that, events could be a really helpful way for those two teams to kind of collaborate communication. But if you don't have two teams, forcing everything through an event system just makes it unnecessarily complex and, and distant. So I, I think that's a really great note there. Yeah. And with, with the example that there are several teams, there is a difference between like when using several teams, you can actually dispatch jobs that other parts mm -hmm. or other teams that, that executed in other teams uh, code. Like for example, as you said, when the user is registered, you send the, uh, for example, create account job. And that job mm -hmm. is written by another team that handles the account creation. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. But the difference in this, in this situation, the difference between dispatching jobs and dispatching events is that a job is like an event, but it, ha it can only have one listener. Mm -hmm. An event, yep. on the other hand, can have several listeners. So yep. if you send the job of user registered, only one team can execute the job and create the mm -hmm. account. But yeah. if the situation that you have several other teams each can want to do something different and you dispatch a user created or user registered event, several teams can listen to this event and each team Love do its, its job. So that's the main difference between the two concepts. That's a great differentiation. And yeah, I think it's good note that there's a lot of circumstances in which some of us might naturally want to write an event and a job is just fine there. And so you're helping us kind of draw the line of like, when do you actually need the event? Like I'm, I'm building something right now. 
I now remembered what it where a user can come back from Stripe Connect and not actually have finished their Stripe Connect onboarding flow. And so Stripe Connect puts the responsibility on us as the the application authors to not just take that user's information back, but also treat it as in an incomplete state. And there's multiple different times which we need to be checking back with Stripe, including listening to Webhook, to figure out whether it's complete or not. And so in that, I, I have basically six different times in the application where I basically go to Stripe and say, hey, is it done yet? Hey, is it done yet? Hey, is it done yet? And so I could, in multiple different circumstances, say something happened that might merit us checking whether or not they're done yet. And that could be an event that has a listener. But the thing is, that thing happening only ever has one action to take. So in that circumstance, in that same line of code, dispatch new event, you know, user may have done something that completed their thing at Stripe Connect. I also can just say dispatch new and then the job, dispatch the job that is check if user has finished the application status. And like you said, because there's only one listener there, writing it as a job, like you mentioned, I wrote the code in one place, which is that job. I can dispatch it in multiple places, but because there's only one listener, the job, I now can keep my code much clearer and more direct because you never have to ask, oh, how many listeners are there an event? No, you don't know. You, there's one. There's one job. The job is running. End of story. That's a great delineation. If you don't need more than one thing responding to it, there's a good chance you don't need an event. Yeah, basically. I love it. Yeah, and, and there's also like this. There is a confusion between jobs and events, and there is another confusion between jobs or the queues and uh, the schedule uh, component mm -hmm. inside Laravel. So people sometimes ask, uh, should I use the queue for this or should I use a schedule job? The, uh, the difference between them is a little bit confusing. And the difference is the schedule job, the, you, you, you put like a specific schedule that mm -hmm. Laravel is going to check every minute and see if any of the uh, of the drops in the schedule need to run right now, and they run it. And they do it mm -hmm. over and over. Like, for example, mm -hmm. you say, like, at the beginning of the day, send users a good morning email. Like, nobody, right. I know nobody does that, but that's the example I have for it's, you that's now. That's one example. I like it. Yeah. So <laughs> in the morning, you check each morning that your Laravel application is going to see that you have this scheduled at 9 a.m. to send to your customers good morning, a good morning email. But if you mm -hmm. have to do it using a job, you can tell the worker to do something uh, repeatedly. You just mm -hmm. dispatch a job to the worker and you tell them, say good morning. And it was yeah. going to say good morning and that's it. It's not going to do anything again until you tell it to say good morning another time. But mm -hmm. in the schedule, yeah. as a scheduled job, it's going to repeat the instructions that you give it each time the time for this instruction uh, comes to run. So that's, that's mainly the difference between uh, the two. I do like that you brought that up, though, because one of the most common times I do find myself creating custom queued jobs is something that's running on a cron that is massive. So like every Sunday at three o'clock in the morning for every single user in the entire application, do X, Y, Z. Well, what happens when we have 50,000 users? Now, granted, there's some other solutions, but one of the first solutions you can reach for is every Sunday morning at 3 a.m., now go dispatch 50,000 jobs. So you don't have to worry about that one thing that's happening, you know, once every Sunday timing out. You just loaded up your queue for the for the day and your queue workers got a, a fun Sunday ahead of them uh, without you having to worry about it kind of timing out. And what, what happens when you have 500,000? Well, give it a couple more queue workers, right? And so queues and scheduled tasks can often have a really good relationship. But like you said, it's important to know the distinction between the two. Okay, so we are getting close to the end of our time. I asked for you a couple things where people get stuck 
when they're working with cues. Are there any tips or like high level things where you say if, if only if, if there's one or two things that you could say, if only everybody in the Laravel world understood this about cues, I think life would be better. Is there anything else you have on your list like that? Uh, well, I think I think there is some another area of confusion that that trips everyone is the the concept of retrying drops and job okay. job duplication. So, for example, if you send a drop to the queue and the drop is a long running drop, like like you say, it's a drop that sends emails to several thousands of people. It's going to keep mm -hmm. running for a long time. But there is a configuration in the worker that says by default. If, if I don't listen back, if our worker doesn't listen back from a job after 90 seconds from it starting, consider that this job uh, failed and then dispatch mm -hmm. another instance of the job. Mm -hmm. So this 90 seconds is the default value. If you have drops mm -hmm. that are going to run for over 90 seconds, you have to mm -hmm. change this configuration inside mm -hmm. your q.php configuration file or your job might get dispatched or might get run several times. And yep. this can lead to problems. Like for example, if you are, uh, my example is saying good morning. Saying good morning once is nice, but saying good morning <laughs> <laughs> several times. Yeah, 17 times, yes. not so nice. <laughs> yeah, so so that's that's a very common uh, issue with people using queues when running jobs uh, that run for a long time is that they forget to update the retry after value in their uh, yeah. queue configuration. So the job gets dispatched several times while it's still running on another worker. Yeah. And that's very helpful because there's more than one configuration option that has to do with how long something can run. So often you think to change one of them, but not the other. And I've done that a lot, or I've helped clients get out of that a lot where they say, wait a minute, I changed this one, and yet somehow we're still getting this duplication, and it was exactly that. So that's a really great point. Are there any other things you want to tip us off about, common pitfalls or super tips before we start closing up? Yeah, well, before, like after every deployment, if you have workers running, you have to restart those mm -hmm. workers because, as we said, those workers are long-running Laravel, uh, Laravel instances, and if you deploy application, you make a change, these long running drops will not get updated. You have to terminate. Right. You have to terminate these processes and start new ones. So the fresh instance uh, of your application starts with the changes you made in the deployment. That's also another common issue. Yeah, because if you don't do that, your your application that's long running won't get the the new code. Right, it never got spun up with whatever your updated code is. Yes, so um, the, the HTTP part of your application will have the new changes while the worker part is still running the old instance of your application with the old form or the old version. So we have to restore the workers for them to use the new version. Am I right in remembering that you also need to restart it after making any modifications to your environment variables? Yes, because like it's a single instance. Any yeah, changes... Reads the file once. Yes, any changes that you made, they won't, that, like these instances will not know about them until you restart the instance, you start uh, the process. Yeah. So the a new environment is started, a new part of the memory on the server starts with new stuff, and uh, that's it. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so I've got some ideas here, including one that you your name is attached to. But if someone were to want to learn a little bit more about queues or events, where would you recommend they go look? 
Well, they the Laravel documentation. It's uh, like one of the things that everyone loves Laravel for is the great documentation. So everything can be found in the documentation. Like a lot of what I said today is already mentioned in the documentation. And it's it's mm-hmm. like if people uh, read the documentation top to bottom, every time they try to use a, a component of Laravel, they will avoid mm-hmm. a lot of bugs and a lot of problems because everything... Yeah is in the documentation. And if yeah. it's not in the documentation or if you if you find yourself trying to find another way of saying the same thing, because like we all learn in different ways, we all mm-hmm. understand things in different type of thing. If you find yourself want to, to learn about it in a different way than the documentation. So I wrote a book and this book yes, covers, yeah, covers everything <laughs> about uh, the cues. Uh, it's an ebook in a PDF format. You can uh, get this book and it has everything I know about queues. And if you don't want to, to read an entire book about queues, I also have a website called divinglaravel.com. And mm-hmm. it's supposed to be covering everything about Laravel. But for the past couple of years, it's all about queues. Because that's, <laughs> yeah, because that's my favorite component in Laravel. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's one thing that I spend... Like if I'm not working on Vapor and I'm not working on Spark, I'm putting all the focus on the queues, trying to enhance the queue system, trying to find ways to make it better, make it faster, make it easier and so on. So that's that's my passion, the queues part. I love it. So we will have links to your website and your book and all this kind of stuff all available in the show notes. And of course, if people want to hear more from you, where are you creating content? You mentioned Diving Laravel. Where else are you? Uh, Well, I'm on Twitter. And I'm also on YouTube. Uh, my my handle on Twitter and YouTube are very simple. They are, it's called them said, them mm-hmm. said, and it's yep. basically a shortcut for the Muhammad Said. I did, yep. yeah, I did it. I did it when I was young, and I found I was I thought it was cool to have my name as the Muhammad Said, the only. The, uh-huh. Yeah, but like, <laughs> it's it sounds ridiculous now, but I'm stuck with it. I can't change it. So. <laughs> Well, it works. It's easy to remember. It's easy to type. It's easy to read. So it's doing the job. I love it. Trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to make sure we covered. I think that was it. So on to our personal moment. Last time we talked, we got to talk a lot about regatta and biking and diving and stuff like this. Uh, But I don't think you were a father at that point. So I wanted to ask for you as you, you, first of all, I know you as a person, you are a kind and caring individual, and I know that you're a great dad, but also even on your social media, you've been really open a lot about various aspects of being a father. A lot of people who become parents for the first time, either get a lot of bad advice or don't get any advice at all. So since you are fresh in here, I'm just going to ask you for the number one piece of advice that you wish that you had been given before having your first kid? Because I mean, literally just in the last week, I feel like I've seen a half dozen people in the Laravel community mentioning they're about to have their first kid. So I'm sorry if this feels more generic, but I'm really curious, what is the one piece of advice that you wish you had been given before you had your first child? Well, I think the the first piece of advice that I wish someone gave me is that not every child is the same. It's not... (laughs) Come on, that's the truth. Yeah, it's not how you see it in the movies because in the movies, all kids are the same. They are yeah. like there is a typical form in the movies about kids. And if you yeah. go outside and you meet people for one hour or two hours, people with kids, you also see like a small part of what being a parent is like. 
So mm-hmm. uh, you have to be prepared for the unknown. And another thing, mm-hmm. most of the of the advice are bad advice. So it's better to not yes. listen. It's so yeah. true. Yeah, it's not. It's so true. Yeah, it's better to not listen to advice and actually listen to your your kid. They yes. Yeah, they have the answers. They just can't tell you the answers. You have to find it in yeah. them. So that's like when it was very frustrating at the beginning that we and we tried to apply any of the advices that we get it doesn't mm-hmm. work but after mm-hmm. a year and more uh when we started listening to him and when he actually started to like he doesn't speak yet but he gives you cues about what he needs mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. listen and when you spend effort on listening on what they want and what they need things get a lot easier so don't listen to that. advice just listen to your kid that's that's the advice i can give I love that. And th- and, th- and it should be noted that I'm very wary of ever asking somebody to publicly give advice about kids because of that exact same point. And I asked you because I knew I didn't know if I didn't know whether you'd say this, but I know that you know that concept, right? Like just because something worked with my kid does not mean it's going to work with your kid. And so that means so many people who give advice are just giving advice about what worked for them assuming that it's going to be the same for everybody. It's not. So, oh my God, that's so good. Most advice is bad. Learn to listen to your kid. You heard it here. (laughs) The M. Saeed told us this. I love it. All right. Is there anything else that we missed covering today? Any other way that people can support you or any other aspects of cues? Anything else you want to cover before we, uh, we cut out for today? Well, I think uh, we're good, but just again, I would like to say, mention it again, that people should really read the Laravel documentation because it, it has everything. Unlike any other piece of software that's out there, the Laravel documentation has everything. If you read the Laravel documentation, you're going to build great applications and you will sleep easier at night knowing how each component works uh, if you read the I documentation. Agree. So read the documentation. I yeah, I love it. Mohammed, you are amazing. Thank you so much for working with me. For the rest of y'all who didn't know, I made him sit and wait in an empty Zoom room for 20 minutes before this, and he still showed up with a smile on his face, gracious and kind as always. So, Mohammed, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, the work you do for all of us, and just you as a friend. You're a great guy, and really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me, and I always enjoy talking to you, Matt. Yeah, you as well. Thank you all, and we'll see you all next time.